I guess I'll equate it to cuisine and food, right? I am a foodie. My wife's a foodie. My kids are foodies. But see, they don't enjoy cooking. I actually enjoy cooking. There's a saying in English about how the sausage is made. I enjoy putting it together and then also operationalizing it, not just coming in and then just operationalizing something that somebody else did. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pharma Sessions, a podcast where MetaFairs professionals can learn from each other. Here's a thought experiment. Is the grass greener on the other side of the fence? If you work at Big Pharma, is a career at an upstart biotech calling your name? What would it look like to start the MetaFairs organizations of your dream from scratch? And if you're at a biotech, is the ability to make an outsized impact worth some of the compromises? Wouldn't life just be cake on a Big Pharma team? My guest is Orlando Granado Balaez, and he's here to share a bit about his journey and his experience on both sides. And while I can't promise we'll fully uncover which side you belong on, hearing the perspectives of someone who's taking the journey can be helpful as we all plan for our own careers. As always, the views reflected here are our own and don't respect those of our respective employers. So let's dive in. I became an RN back in 2003, so I just had my 20-year anniversary. And I did that for quite some time. I, I actually was a nurse that started working with an associate degree about 20 years ago. And then I was that guy that was like, I never want to go back to school. I like tripled my income. It was great being a floor nurse, working right. a step-down unit. And then six or seven years later, it was like, wow, I've been doing this for a while and it's great. I love it, but there's got to be more than putting mm -hmm. up scrubs and seeing the same thing every day. So I decided to go into a bachelor's in nursing. And then it was, I guess at that point in my life, I, I enjoyed learning, which I didn't initially. And I was like, oh my God, this bachelor's degree was like easy. And then it, the master's was easy. And then eventually I pursued my doctorate and that was difficult. But, <laughs> but along the way, it was interesting how all those degrees helped me advance my professional career. So if I told the story, you'd see like my educational career sort of start to go up. And then my, the things I was doing at work were, I became a manager of a transplant program. Then I was pursued by industry. I started working on the commercial side and then eventually working in clinical operations and then medical affairs. I love that progression of a mid career change, right? Of yeah. doing this thing that you thought you were happy about and then realizing that while all that was true, there might be another path and then pursuing it. That's really interesting. I'm curious. So the, what we're going to talk about today is MetaFair is a startup organization, right? And I've always worked for startups. I love startups. One of the things that you're always doing at a startup is what they call pivoting. We're pursuing the next thing. We're recognizing the next opportunity. Yeah. We're not married to past decisions. And even in your background, it almost sounds like you had a little bit of that mentality of, okay, this is what we were doing, but it might not necessarily be what I'm doing next, right. which is quite cool. So how would you describe your life in start? I'm just using the term startup, but startup MSL world, startup MetaFairs world. Yeah, we, the company I'm in now, it's, it's been around for a while. So we call it like just small pharma startup, but it does have that startup feel. Interestingly, like I was telling you with my background, when I came into pharma and I came into commercial, I worked for one of the biggest companies on the planet, right? It was Novartis. And then after that, I worked for another pretty big company. But interestingly, it's when I went to work in medical affairs that I was hired by a true startup, 
account was still clinical stage in the electrophysiology space. So they didn't even have an approved product yet. And it was a wonderful experience working there. I really got to learn what we do in medical affairs from a great team that had been recruited to get that company off the ground. So I got to work with some pretty fabulous people. Then the pandemic like side railed that and I ended up in cleanups for two years, again, at a big company. And that was also, I enjoyed that job quite a bit. It was very cool. But then the pandemic sort of really that it was working with a trial and it was impossible to keep that trial moving after people were told, don't go to the hospitals because we needed right. people with previous hospitalizations in the previous six months. And then coming here to my current employer, it's just been nice to get back into the part of cardiology that, that I enjoy, but also into that small company feel because being here, it's like your voice is really heard. I'm not saying that in big companies it isn't, but it's heard, I think, differently. You're part of, I, on day one, I was immersed in these meetings about what was going on and, and what we were going to do next and how medical affairs was going to support those efforts compliantly. And it was, it was a big deal. And I was I was like the only MSL here for a very long time. So that was going to be my question. So what's life like as the first MSL at the company or the only well, MSL? So they have had, at my current company, they had a lot of folks that, that kind of circled through and they were, they were all consulting to, in a capacity. So they were very experienced, but these folks were consultants. So being like the first real full-time, we're, we're hoping to keep this person here for a while. It, I felt like I was almost part of senior leadership, but I was... Mm -hmm medical science liaison. There was a, there was no the director of medical affairs or head of medical at the time. And so I was part of all those meetings. Hey, let's look at these marketing materials and see if they look appropriate to send for further review of, Hey, what do you think about this policy? Hey, does this activity we want to plan sound compliant? So I, I was doing a lot of that and it was nice to have the trust and confidence. The company had that trust and confidence in me to yeah. really involve me at that level. And so how do you take that on if you're coming from, say, a Novartis, right? Where if you want to work on a deck, there's a whole medcoms team and there's there's right. teams for all of these little sub roles. And then you're starting at a company where now that had been your background. And now you're in this different background yeah. where you're MSL number one, but also weighing in on all of these other topics. How do, how do you address that so you feel comfortable doing a position like that? So that's a good question. And honestly, it's a, I have to give you it's a two-part answer, right? The number one... I told you when I was at the previous medical affairs role at the clinical stage company. So I had a great foundation by a great team of professionals there. There was a, a head of medical and two senior liaisons that were fabulous. I'm still in touch with them to this day. So having that foundation of knowing where to go find information if you need it and where to find the right information and honestly to lean on them. If you ever have a question, they're like your lifeline. Hey, I have a quick question. So it, actually having that as a resource and that foundation helped. But then I'm also fortunate at my company, because it was a small company that was started less than 10 years ago, there is also a team of professionals here that while they're not medical affairs, they're always invested in doing the right thing, making sure that we find the right information. So having a very accessible and competent CEO, founder, chief operating officer, all of that has been very helpful to have those folks always willing to pause, do the right thing. Let's find the right answers and move from there. Yeah. So trying to take that into something that somebody listening might be able to, to use, it sounds like one of the things, if you're considering a role like this yeah. to look at is who are the senior leadership, right. how involved are they going to be and how much are they going to be 
helping you along the way as you're taking on some things yeah. that are probably maybe outside your job description, for example. Yeah. I knew this company had a what I felt was going to be a very good support system because when I got hired, the hiring process, there was a lot of similarities to what I've had before. But for example, th that typical, like, you got to do a deck and we got to see how you present it. This current company didn't do that, but they did engage in one of the calls with me on a situation like, hey, we just, we have this kind of that we're working through and we're just going to talk to you and see how you would participate in that conversation with us. So it was almost like I got pulled into a think tank during the interview process with two of the high ranking folks in the company. And we wow. spoke for about an hour and they loved the way that, that I did that. So I guess it almost tells you like how different it is to go to a bigger company where presentation skills are like probably 80% of, they want to make sure that here it's still important, but they also wanted to see how I would fit into a small think tank in the company about solving a real world problem or an issue that they were de deliberating about at that time. I did well. The difference being, that's good, congratulations. The difference being at a larger company, sort of the message is defined and tested and it's really about delivering that versus here, that is a part of it. But first you have to set the strategy yeah. and you have to be able to interpret the data and work with others to, to actually then create the playbook and then you have to run the playbook. Yeah. It's interesting on the flip side of that, I've spoken to friends, you make friends in medical affairs everywhere. So I talked to a friend about a year ago and I, was, I told him that at that point, we then we were a team of two around a year ago. And so my boss and I were at the time, we were writing up some SOPs and whatnot. And he was like, oh my God, he's, I can't even imagine doing that because he's, we, all that was already done when me and my team got here, all that infrastructure was laid out. So like, we, we can't even like, they see the value in me learning that, but at the same time, they were like, we're just so removed from that. They almost yeah. take it for granted. The fact that we were working on that at that time. So what for you personally, what was appealing about that as an opportunity rather than I could see the argument of, Hey, tell me the SOPs. I've got a clear definitions of what success looks like. I'm going to go and I'm going to execute and, and that's it. And not that it's easy, but it, in some ways it's easier, quite honestly. So what was appealing to you about that, this opportunity? I don't know. I guess I'll equate it to cuisine and food, right? I am a foodie, right? My wife's a foodie my kids are foodies, but I, but see, they don't enjoy cooking. I actually enjoy cooking. And I think that was, that's part of it. I, I to see what there's a saying in English, I'm a, English is my second language, but there's a saying in English about how the sausage is made or something like, I actually yeah. like to, to, I enjoyed putting it together and then also operationalizing it, not just coming in and then just operationalizing something that somebody else did. So that's been very exciting because you have to like dig into FDA guidance documents and you know, what other companies are doing, how other things look on paper. And, and rewrite and write it and rewrite it, go back to the drawing board until it's right. But I don't know. I do enjoy that. And I get it. It's not for everybody, but I guess my personality type does enjoy that. Yeah. And that's been my experience. I've worked for a large company once and I did it for a couple of years. It was okay. My daughter had just been born. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to go in. And, but I felt like I was just punch, punching a clock and that wasn't appealing. What's appealing to me, even though is I've always been on the vendor side, supporting pharma and like software vendor roles. But what you're describing is a hundred percent of what we do, where it's, is this going to work? I don't know. Yeah. Let's try it. Let's talk it through. Does it make sense? If it makes sense. Okay. Rather right. than right. in my mind, the most annoying thing about businesses, like the, if you ask a question, the reason is that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. 
terrible, right? right? And so the the opportunity to have much more of a say in how things are done, Absolutely. I think appeals to some people. But again, I fully recognize that not everybody thinks the same way I think, and that there's you could live a very good life executing other people's plans and contributing how you want to contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And by doing it also, we've identified that as good as medical affairs is at doing a lot of things, sometimes there are certain things where you need like an expert. And I'll give an opinion, an example. We were writing a lot of the compliance policies for a while, myself and my boss at the time. And then at one point we were like, man, we really we really need like a somebody over like pharmacovigilance compliance and quality assurance to give this stuff like another look over and make sure that when this stuff is blessed it's perfect so we approached our leadership and we got that person hired under corporate right and and he's awesome and and now we like whenever we support something like that we're more supporting him and that's his primary role we're still supporting all of that quite a bit in terms of the initial writing and what SOPs and policies we need in place. Yeah. So that's actually brings up an interesting topic of, you know, when you join as the first MSL, you don't want to stay the first MSL for too long because that would imply that only one is needed and that's not a good thing. So how do you go about building out an organization and trying to maintain some of the things that attracted you to a very small group to, to begin with as you grow and as you scale? The way that happened here was about six or eight months in, I had a call with the CEO and the COO at the time. And we were ready to at least have one more person. And they told me, do you think you'd like to be, I guess, the manager, the leader, and then build a team around you? And I said, so I'm big into self-awareness, right? And I knew at the time, I, I didn't want to put that much on myself at the risk of making a mistake with the company or anything. So I told them, look, I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I think if we're going to build a team around me, then the first thing we need is we need a leader. Was not ready at that point to, to take the reins fully. So I actually ended up referring a candidate who was hired. I used to work with him elsewhere, and he did a fantastic job of laying this amazing foundation that we have now. And, and it's because of that, that now he's been promoted and I felt now I feel like I can do the leadership role because a, he's laid out such a wonderful foundation, but B he's also been promoted and he's a resource to me if I ever need assistance or support. And that's actually the model here now, which is wonderful. That's very cool. So that's really nice that you knew that person ahead of time, right? And you could bring them on because you're going to be working so closely. For people that you didn't know prior to interviewing, how do you manage that? So once he came on board, uh, then it was about maybe a good four or five months before we brought more people on. So he did a stellar job of writing some job descriptions and those were approved through HR. And then HR was able to post those positions. We're very fortunate here to have a very experienced and seasoned HR representative. So the process is she does a, a light screening on everybody just to make sure that everything's in place if we're going to move forward, that the employees are employable, hireable, no issues. And then she would, once that light screening was done, then she would send them to us. We would review them. And then we would narrow down to a manageable number because, again, it was only two of us. And then we would interview them together. I think only one person we interviewed separately because we of our scheduling that day. But we would interview them together. 
Then we would have, this company has a philosophy, which I agree with. We don't want to make the hiring process like a two-month event, but we do want people to speak to multiple people in the company, candidates, mm -hmm. and and see if it's, because hiring it is a two-way street, the way that at least I look at it and the way that we look at it here at my company is it's a two-way street. So we need to like them, but they need to like us. So we want to also give them the opportunity to see other sides of the company. So they speak to about maybe five folks. And if everybody seems to be in agreement that, oh, this is unanimous, this is a really good candidate. And then we have them speak to HR formally and the CEOs. We ended up putting together a program, a clinical science liaison program. And then we hired those folks about a year ago. They're all turning a year old now. And head of medical affairs, they reported directly to him, but I was their field lead. And I did that again for several months until, again, that transition happened where now I'm the national director of field medical affairs and they all directly report to me and then my, my former boss was promoted to a vp role but that's how we did it at first we first it was me then i referred the boss he laid a, a solid foundation and then we were able to bring a team on yeah. and the team has been very viable i think because of that foundation yeah and it mary it's so funny because it marries so nicely with my own experience kind of hiring people in startups which is you need to be really transparent because the last thing you want is, is to hire somebody who hates it or doesn't, I hate the word, doesn't fit because it's not really that, but it's had, had wrong expectations. And right. so there have been times I've always tried to get people talking to as many people as I could get availability for, whether they're going to be likely working with them every day, once a month. Because you never know what's important to people coming on. And mm -hmm. to me, it's important to like, we're not overselling this company. Like, I'm not trying to talk you into taking a job here. And hopefully you're not trying to talk yourself into taking a job because that doesn't work out. It's let me, let's overshare. Let's really let them understand what the day-to-day -day is because that is, I feel like one of the, you're not hiring MSL number 99. You might be hiring MSL number four. So exactly. it's really important that 25% of your workforce doesn't walk out the door three months, three months after they start yeah. because of something that could have been prevented. It's so interesting because when I actually verbalize that to candidates, because right now we're looking to expand a little. So I've been talking to a few folks and it's when I tell people like, this is a two-way street. We want, you're hiring us too. I don't know if that's really, I know that's an emerging thing, but I think it's still not as a prevalent as I probably should be. So when I say to some of that, I don't know that it even like registers with some people sometimes, but we really do mean that here. We want anybody that comes here to really want to be here. We yeah. want to make sure that, that they're as excited about hiring us as we're excited about hiring them. Cause that's really the way it is. Yeah. That all like we're the company, we're going to interview you. We're going to ask you these scripted questions. I don't, we don't do it like that here. We're not going to talk like that in the future. Why would we do that? In an <laughs> do you still do the presentations? We did not with the first three candidates. And I honestly don't know if, if that's something that, that we're going to do. It's this, I remember I, I interviewed for several jobs in my past that I didn't get because I probably bombed the presentation. Yeah. It's, sometimes it's a material you're not familiar with. Yeah. I think a model that has worked for me is I interviewed at a company that said, look, we do the presentation like requirement, but you pick the topic. Like we want you to present on what you're comfortable with. If it's basket weaving, give us a scientific presentation on basket weaving. And that was actually quite nice because the minute that company I got hired at, because I was able to present a clinical study I had been supporting in a previous role. 
And I was very confident, right? And to speak to that study, but if it's, oh, you're transitioning from cardiovascular to migraine and you're going to do a presentation on migraine, it's, oh my God, I'm getting a migraine. But this is, let, let me read these three papers and become an expert on migraine in two weeks. Exactly. That's what it comes down to is what are you actually evaluating when you do it? And if what you want to evaluate is how fast they can take on new information, okay, there's an argument for that. Right. But if you're trying to do presentation skills, then what you're describing is actually how I typically do it, which is just give me a presentation, make sure it, make it last for 15 minutes. And it can be about what you're currently, what your current company, it could be about yeah, as yeah. you said, basket weaving, a book, books you've read, whatever the case may be. Because really what I'm looking for when I'm doing this is how clearly are they presenting it? Right. How did they go through the thought process of laying out the organization and their flow? Are they yeah. allowing for a back and forth? Or are they just blasting me with PowerPoints? Are they managing their time appropriate? If we say 15 minutes, are yeah. we still talking at minute 25 and there's half the deck left? So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's important to, to try to set up a test to measure what you actually want to yeah. measure. Some of that is important, staying like uh, on schedule or whatnot, but definitely, I don't know. I think like somebody being confident with the con with the material, that's all. Again, I put that burden back on the hiring company, right? Like if I need you to present on Alzheimer's, it's my job to get you present being very comfortable about presenting on Alzheimer's. So I'm not going to have you present on something that you're not comfortable with, present something that you're comfortable with, because that's how you're going to present when I do my job and get you ready about Alzheimer's. And I think that, so I do think that model, it doesn't need to go away, but I do think it's, it's, I think it's tradition at this point and I'm not, I don't know. So for people that might be on the other side of the fence that are, maybe they're just getting into Metafairs, maybe they're at a big company thinking about making the transition to a smaller kind of more startup-y role, what advice would you give somebody in that situation? at least to, to prepare themselves for, to get in, I would try to talk to some MSLs first and, and some folks in other medical affairs roles that, that are synonymous with MSLs. A lot of people don't realize that a clinical science liaison, a clinical trial liaison, a clinical trial educator, a lot of field medical director, all of these are pretty much the same role. I would try talking to people in all those different roles and seeing, are there any differences? How's your day to day? I'll be honest, some people do reach out to me on LinkedIn to have a conversation like that, or at least to hear a little bit more. And I really, I wish I had the time to have more of those conversations because I'm a big pay it forward person, but I probably only do it probably less than half the time. And I wish I had a little more time to, to dedicate to people coming to me for, Hey, I want to get into medical affairs, not really looking for a job, but any tips and tricks, it would be nice. I do know and I've seen a little bit more of this. There's private folks now that are like doing almost like consulting for people that want to get in and they help them with the resume and they help them, I guess, with the presentation skills or whatnot. I haven't used one of those, but I don't think it's a bad thing. Even if you have to pay for it. Sometimes when you pay for this stuff, there's skin in the game, like on both sides. And you really have somebody that hopefully knows what they're doing, talking to you. And because you paid them, you have an expectation of what, you know, that what you're hoping to get out of it than just a random conversation. So I think that I've seen a little of that lately and I'm wondering, I, I, I think it's probably a good thing that we have more people doing that type of private consulting for potential candidates. Wanting yeah. To... And if you, cause if you think about, I, I have no idea what something like that charges, but I'm just going to guess and say it's probably two or 300 bucks for a consulting engagement. If you think about the potential ROI on something oh like that, that could be 
the best investment you've ever made. Right. Now I need to go find one of those people to sponsor this because I just like. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, I've accepted like five LinkedIn requests. I accept everybody. So there, there was, there's been a few and I was like, this is creative. I, I'm not going to do it. But I was like, man, they, this was clever. People went, when you're going to take like the nursing licensure exam, you buy a thousand books, you take these courses, you you do all this stuff. You probably spend thousands, right? Getting for that test, getting ready for the NCLEX. Like you said, if it's, even if it's five, even if it's a thousand, I mean, if it's, if you're going to get like a nice, like you get this number of hours with me and we're going to dedicate hour one to this. Look, I'm here laying out a business plan to something I've never even thought of. If you got like a five hour bucket of, we're going to dedicate five hours over the next two months to your CV, to the way you communicate, to what an MSL does, put it, it, yeah, the ROI could be unbelievable. Yeah. It's also this thing of most of us only interview every, I don't know, if interview for a job every right. few years or 10 years, it's always a while. And I always find myself whenever I do it, I completely bomb the first one because I'm just oh, so sure. rusty and out of practice. So the idea of talking, get it, having that same, working through it with somebody whose job it is to get you ready makes a lot of sense. And then I think the idea also of talking to other people that are in these and hope maybe that's part of the interview process. Maybe it's not even the same company, but you go on LinkedIn and it's, Hey, I'm consider- I'm going from a big company to a small company. How do you do it? But I found, I personally, I've actually done that when I was at one point I was changing industries and I just went on LinkedIn and I reached out to a couple people and people were very helpful. And yeah, it's really nice. So let me end with this, Orlando. This is a question. Oh, I mean, this is, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Okay. Keep oh. <laughs> going. I'll give another cup of coffee. So the question I always ask at the end is, what are you most excited about, given what you're seeing in medical affairs? So I read a lot about what's going on out there, right? There's So I am a board certified MSL. I'm, I don't want to plug even my own company here, So I, but I am a board certified MSL through one of the organizations. And so I read a lot about what's going on in medical affairs and where medical affairs is going. And I think that these organizations and some of the leaders in medical affairs, there's always been this like medical affairs does their own thing. And then they don't talk to anybody else almost. And the insights they collect are great, but who's really putting those insights into action. And I think now medical affairs is just, I think, cross-functionally collaborating a little bit better with, I guess, the senior leadership compliantly with commercial, compliantly with marketing. And I think that now like the insights that we're collecting, I think across the organizations and at least here, we're finding ways to really make those insights actionable to execute on corporate goals and strategies. And I think that's what's exciting me. I think I, so the first person that ever got me into medical affairs said, no, no kid, this is, it's a new profession. I mean, and he's used this as an example. He said, no kid woke up one day and said, Hey mom, I want to be an MSL when they were eight years old. That's always stuck with me. You learned about different things and then you, Oh my God, I want to be an MSL when you're an adult. So this is an evolving profession that brings, I think a lot of value, a lot of qualitative value and seeing, seeing it evolve as a minute is exciting, right? Seeing how even in a little over two years in my current company, where we were at and where we're at now, it's very exciting. People do listen to our input and what we learn out in the field and how we think that the things we're hearing can be plugged into the company in order to, again, execute on, on our corporate goals and improving patients' lives. It's, I don't know, it's an exciting time to be an MSL, definitely. And 
it's nice to see a lot of people now, I think, are also, oh, I want to get into this. It's, it seems like you really love what you do. So, yeah, hopefully I'll do it for a very long time and, and see it evolve some more. Excellent. We'll leave it there. So, Orlando, thank you so much. Thank you for having me.